0: Around right now, call a doctor or a coroner or something, you might actually be dead. Welcome to episode 59 of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that moves and grooves like no other strings podcast. Oh, hey, if you're digging these episodes, please like, comment, and share on all of your social media, that helps us a lot. At this very moment. You were getting your booty moved by Chelsea Green and the Green Project. Unlike most string players who start kind of square with Twinkle and Lightly Row, Dr. Green started grooving from the very start. It might be partly why she's so good at this. And you know what? I'm just going to shut up and let you enjoy some more of Dr. Funk. And then we'll get to my chat with Chelsea Green, rock star violinist. So are, you're in Boston right now then, right?
1: I am a very cold, cold Boston right now. Yes. Oh, it was it is. eight degrees when I woke up this morning.
0: Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're in Raleigh. It was like in the 20s last night, and I thought I was going to die.
1: Oh yeah,
0: no. Like
1: this is. I had to clean my car off because you know you can't even. You're not advised to even leave the snow on your car when it's in single digits because it'll. I mean, it's literally ice. It'll freeze very quickly.
0: I'm not into it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Listen, I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm not. I'm not.
0: I'm not hip to dealing with the snow. (laughs) Man, I lived in Houston for ten years. I love it down there. It's love it. Yeah. The weather. The food. Exactly
1: the food! I miss the food so much. Mm. Oh, I miss the food so, so much. That's why, actually, I cook so much now, because you just don't get food like
0: that here, right. you know? Well, you got the Tex-Mex, yeah. and then Louisiana's just right there, so all the Cajun influences. You're right on the water, so the seafood, and...
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. That Creole seafood ain't nothing like it, for sure. <laughs>
0: That's right. For sure. And and I'm sitting here, I'm (laughs) messing with a McChicken sandwich, and I'm thinking about all, like, real food.
1: (laughs) Uh, Right, right. They're both tasty in their own right, yes.
0: So you grew up in Houston then and started playing real, real young, right?
1: Started playing when I was a wee toddler. I was four years old when my mother actually ran into a very nice woman at Kinko's, <laughs> back in the day, Kinko's, which is now FedEx office for all the young folks. Uh, but yes, she saw this lady copying sheet music that had a violin case on her back, like a backpack. And my mom walked up to her and said, do you teach private lessons? My, I really want my baby girl to play the violin and you're a violinist and she said, "Oh ma'am, I don't I don't really teach." And she saw me peek around my mom's leg. And she was like, "Do you mean for this little one right here?" And she said, "Absolutely." And she took me as a student at that second. And she actually is a member of the Houston Ballet Orchestra. Oh, wow. Yes, so I totally hit the jackpot. She would invite me to their performances of The Nutcracker every season. And so I would get to sit in the pit and watch the musicians do their thing. And she would introduce me to the dancers and the production team and the conductor. And I really got to see at a really young age just how performances come together, like how collaboration works. So that was always super fun. And it really diversified my lessons you know and and my private instruction experience
0: yeah so it was all classical I'm assuming right classical training and opera type stuff right
1: you know she was classically based for sure at the same time my dad is a very well-known jazz musician and jazz educator in the Houston area And he taught at the Performing Arts Middle School Academy level. That was the feeder school to HSPVA, the Houston Performing Arts High School. And he, you know, like from the womb, (laughs) I was introduced to, you know, so many genres all the time. And really one of my very, very first stages was the church. Okay. I, was, I was playing at church. As soon as I had that violin in my hand, I was playing on Sunday morning, squeaking through Amazing Grace in front of the whole church, you know. So even I can remember as young as seven years old playing for like the National Baptist Convention. So I was playing a lot of church and, and other contemporary styles uh, very young. And then I actually started studying jazz with my dad when I was 12,
0: so you were like a like a gospel Baptist church, right for sure, okay, yeah, I grew up my mother it has a degree in pipe organ, and wow. I grew up literally sitting on an organ bench next to my mom, so my church music and your church music are different
1: they they probably do have some differences, but you were able to hear just like this massive sound, you know, this like sonic experience of surround sound, which right. is so cool, um just to how that shapes performance, even as a violinist,
0: you know? Yeah, but it don't groove.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It don't groove. Listen, I still to this day love a good vamp, okay? Mm. It doesn't matter what genre it is, I will find the spirit. The Holy Spirit will be in a good vamp, even in an R&B song. (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: So then, So you were one of the lucky few that didn't have to figure out, like, how do I marry classical violin to the music that I actually like to play and listen to right (laughs) you were just from from very young all that was happening at once
1: you know, that's why I think language is so important. It was never separated in my house. It it was just never a thing. It was, you're going to play this style now, and now we're going to play Stevie Wonder together. And now we're going to listen to Herbie Hancock together. And now we're going to jam on this Chicago tune. And now we're going to jam on, you know, this Clapton tune. Like, it was just, let's just do everything and introduce you to everything. And so I never really separated it until I started having to participate in like all state, all region. Mm. And, you know, these competitions, these youth competitions where you would have to prepare strictly classical literature. And when I got towards the end of my high school career, I incorporated viola. So that was a totally new new thing uh, that became really my ticket to going into college and getting three degrees on viola while still playing violin in contemporary styles outside of school. So that always kept that balance, too.
0: Yeah, I was one of those kids that grew up, I mean, playing violin, and then I started playing trumpet in the band, and and my school didn't have an orchestra, so if I wanted to play with other kids, I had to play in a band. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah. you got to like experience the different colors between violin and viola like those darker warmer colors and that's really more your jam then.
1: It's it's like all my jam. I I just love every like I love it all because I just think they have such different functions
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and different uh different roles, you know, and I think that's really it's almost like when you're directing a play or you're you know directing this movie it's like these are all the characters now let's let them play together and let's see what what can come of it so i feel like viola really was one of the most integral parts of me understanding my own improvisation better mm. because hearing harmony from the viola section felt very different than understanding harmony from the violin section right you know so chords became Totally different and, you know, so readily accessible in my head uh, that I really started improving different almost
0: immediately. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I hadn't really thought about, you know, the violin, sort of, if you look at the SATB thing, if right. you're looking at choir, the violin always being the soprano was kind of expecting everybody to work around them. Exactly. Where the viola's more exactly. the A or the T. and And it's like, I actually have to do stuff. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of making things. You're making things happen so that the violinist can do whatever it is that they're off doing in their own little world.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like that supporting role, you know. Where where am I supporting, or even how do I speak as the lead in in this texture and in this tone? You know, how does that come through? And it's not always a brightness, but sometimes it's just very textural, or it's with articulation. And I always say that to my students now. It's like your bow is the breath you know Mm. so it's like we get to breathe in so many different ways and so many different styles and iterations on our instrument it's super cool to see a change
0: yeah i think tracy silverman is the one that told me like you think you play the violin you actually play the bow absolutely yes
1: i love that that's so true and i tell my kids too you don't really hold the bow the string does so mm-hmm. we 're we 're operating you know we 're giving it action while the string really is the responsive or the reactionary part of it, um, and so it 's like all of that manipulation thereof is super cool to learn how you can play with that, especially when you start thinking about electric instruments and how those, you know, resonances change, or when you start plugging up pedals and how your action on the bow has to change to make the sound trigger. Uh, you know, it really it really does implore, uh, I mean, it puts the onus on you to really take charge in a different way, you know,
0: so. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. I could not pass up the opportunity for some irony here. We're just talking about how important your bow is. So let's listen to some pizzicato part three from the Green Room album. So you had to start amplifying then really young, right? If you're playing in in these southern gospel bands and whatnot.
1: Yes, because, you know, back in the day, it was... Which deacon is going to hold the microphone over Chelsea's violin?
0: For, for I was going to ask, is, did you start with like a 57 over the instrument? or Absolutely. Look, they just came
1: and stood right in front of me, and they never knew where to exactly put it, and it would always be changing. <laughs> uh, so that was so funny when I first started like actually using a pickup because it was so new to me. And listen, I'm gonna tell you how elementary the pickups were. This is I've never even shared this on an interview before. Do you remember the guitar pickups that literally affix to the top of your instrument?
0: Yeah, like a K and K or something. Yes. That, that just attaches, yeah. Let me tell
1: you, I took some sticky tack and put that joint right on the top of my instrument. And I took it back to the maker. He almost fainted. He was like, what do you have on this violin? (laughs) I said, oh my gosh, is this wrong? He's like, are you kidding? Is this wrong? This is awful. (laughs) And so like literally clean it up, like had to re-varnish my whole instrument and everything. And that really took me into a deep dive because I was like in high school. I didn't know what what I was doing, right. uh, and I didn't have a private instructor that was hip to the electric thing at the time. You know, right. so that is this really... the same
0: teacher, the Houston Opera teacher, that you're still following all the way through?
1: So no, when I got to when I got to elementary school, I um. I switched teachers. I had a very, very strict Japanese teacher who was very strict with me. And she was, you know, very demanding on the classical literature and the the technical training. And, you know, in hindsight, she just really wanted me to... Succeed, And I, I appreciate her for that. I truly do. Um, at the time, it was quite challenging. But she was not at all, you know, hip to the electric stuff. And that wasn't her jam. So it wasn't even something that I entertained with her.
0: So you you had to kind of like not mention what you were doing on Sunday mornings?
1: <laughs> you know, I think I would, but it was almost one of those like passing thoughts that it was just like, you know, okay, great. But did you do this Kreutzer exercise? Right. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, well, I didn't memorize this page of Bach this week because I kind of had to play in the band on at church on Sunday. So, uh, but it, You know, I still got to practice it at home. And I was, you know, we all play weddings when we're really Mm -hmm. young, too. So that was a huge part of my undergrad career was weddings, weddings, weddings. Um, And, you know, arranging popular songs for Trio. It pays
0: pays better than sweeping floors, I can tell you that. Look, that's true. (laughs) That That is
1: true. And, you know... It was a really cool performance practice method. You know, it's a pressure situation. It's a time situation. And you had to, I mean, you really have to show up as a pro in, in these
0: situations
1: even young.
0: So I think it's a great training ground for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, gigging is one of the best trainings I mean, we talk about practice, and you try to practice these etudes and practice these scales because right. those skills apply to the concertos. But we really don't talk much about performance practice. Yes, You know, yes. how do you practice performing? Well, the way you get better at performing is to perform.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I tell that to my kids all the time. I was like, you can practice to, to your heart's content, but when you put yourself in that pressure situation of like recording yourself and, you know, video recording yourself or, or throwing a show for your family and friends, like doing something to put yourself out there in these moments that will demand a certain amount of pressure, you, you know, you, that is just so important for when you get to these larger stages. Honestly, if you're playing in a group or solo, it's super helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, you look at, uh, at guys like the NBA, in the NBA, you got your three-point shooters that they can stand in an empty arena and hit 90 out of 100. Yes. But yes. even Steph, when he gets into a game, like 40% is pretty good. Right, right, like when right. when the lights come on and the baskets actually count, like that affects you and it affects the very best people in the game and it affects them to the tune of about half. Like wow. they're about half as good in a game as they are in practice. Yes. And I think that applies to us too.
1: Agree. I agree completely. Uh, you know, it's th- we're athletes. I love that. I love that analogy because we too are athletes and that's that training. <laughs> you know, I, I tell kids all the time, I'm like, part of what makes us nervous. Is we're not prepared. If you're, tr- mm, if you're tr- you know, if you're truly prepared for what might come at you in a performance situation, especially teaching at an institution like Berkeley, we always are talking about what happens when your in-air monitor doesn't work, what happens when your you know floor monitor is shorted, or or what happens when you you can't hear the drummer or the bassist? Like, are you still completely in charge of your own part you know and and it's just so many considerations for sure
0: here is Chelsea's 2018 release summertime featuring Warren Wolf on vibraphone
3: summertime and the living is easy fish are jumping and the cotton is high Your daddy's rich And your mother's good and take to the sky
0: So you, you're teaching at Berkeley now. I actually want to circle back. Yeah. You were sure you were. Um, you said that you did. You've gotten three degrees in viola. Yes. Yes. At what point did you know in your life, like, like I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a you know an mm-hmm. accountant. I'm going to be mm-hmm. a, a, a violinist or violist.
1: You know what? I my parents to this day love to remind me, Chelsea. You were on your way to Baylor to do pre-med, like we still don't understand what happened to that dream. You said it for years and years and, and you just went full throttle on the music. And I will say that when I was in high school, I tried my freshman, sophomore, and junior year to make the Allstate, the Texas All-State Orchestra on violin, never made even past the first round. Like it was the most intense competition. I my senior year, two weeks before the audition, I showed up at the violin shop and I said, listen, give me that viola. I don't care. Give me that viola. I'm going to do Allstate this year. He's like, you're crazy. Do you realize viola doesn't even read treble clef? Like, do you even know how to read alto clef? I was like, I'm going to know. (laughs) I'm going to eat, sleep, and breathe this instrument for the next 14 days. And that is what I did. I went all the way in on that viola, ended up making third chair of the Allstate Orchestra
0: that year. And you'd been a violist for two weeks?
1: I'd been a violist for two weeks. And when I say (laughs) my life changed, I like I just took a deep dive into viola. I loved everything about it. I loved, I felt like it sounded like my voice. Mm. I was like, finally an instrument that sounds like me, that feels like me, because I would always get on judges' comments. Oh, you play too, like you play so soulful or you play so deep, like in dark. You know, we, we, we were missing the brightness in your tone. And I'm like, I think everybody's sound is a little different. Uh, but Viola really felt like home to me with regard to like classical repertoire. So I really started enjoying like the black sonatas and the Glazanov elegies and these like rich, I call them honey, these honey and chocolate uh, mm-hmm. you know, tunes that just make you want some kind of cake. It's like goodness. Uh and when when I I got a scholarship to college to do viola instead of violin. So I was like, Oh, and it's giving me some money. Okay. I think this can work.
0: Yeah. So that was Baylor. You did your undergrad at Baylor.
1: I did. I did my undergrad at UT university of Texas in Austin. Okay. Austin. Oh, in Austin. Yes. Austin is full of surprises for sure. <laughs> and, um, my dad, as I said, my dad's a musician, so when they found out I was shifting to major in music, he said, promise me this. You will always have some sort of internship while you're majoring in music. Some sort of like at arts administration, some sort of mentorship or internship so that you'll have a backup plan. I just want you to be you know, have some options, and so I really took that to heart because, you know, I watched my dad gig, and, you know, he's he's a musician, and I saw how he would juggle life, um, and so I'm like, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from, so at UT, my senior year, I was working with the Texas Music Office for my internship. When I say a transformative experience, like I really was able to still connect with all genres of music. I was working for South by Southwest, you know, looking at all of these Mm. fantastic, you know, independent artists come through who, you know, go on to be these very, very globally known artists. um, And just seeing how the industry works at a contemporary level. And I was like, man, I want to do this. So that's when I decided to continue... Uh, with going to conservatory at that point, which is where I went to Peabody for my master's degree.
0: And how hip to they? How hip were they to wanting to play in church on Sunday and wanting to do jazz and R and B and funk? You know were, what? Were they like pretty close-minded about that or no? It. I will
1: say that it, he wasn't my teacher. Oh, my goodness. I still absolutely love him to this day. Steven Wachinski, he's at Indiana University now. But I will never forget one of our first lessons I had practiced. I came in there playing the scales, and I took my scale book out, my mogul scale book, put it on the stand, and I was like, I'm about to play these scales. He saw me reading those scales. He started packing up his stuff. I was like, "Wait, where are you going?" <laughs> like, oh, he's like, "Oh, I came to have a lesson, not to watch you practice." I was like, "Oh, snap." Um, okay. He was like, "If you're still reading scales, that means you don't know the scales." And he's like, "Anybody, I can teach anybody to be a better violist, but I need you to be an artist. And I was like, I had never even put that together in that way. So he really made me feel like I could do it. Like I could do whatever I wanted uh, with regard to whatever genre. Like for him, it was like, great, you're doing whatever. Because at this point, I had started sitting in on open mics. And sitting in with live bands and I had created my own band at this point. So he knew that I was doing, you know, some very serious contemporary stuff outside of school, but he was always focused on me just improving my technique and growing with regard to the awareness of the literature so that it could serve my playing. Not so I could just know a whole bunch of concertos, but so I could grow artistically through what the concertos demanded of my playing. Oh, that's fantastic. He was, I mean, love him to this day for sure. Um, And he really changed my life with even how I teach, uh, which I think I'm so grateful for, you know especially at a school like berkeley
0: so you yeah. were you'd been playing weddings and gigs and stuff since you were little and then yeah. at, by the time you're in college or or grad school you've got a band at yeah, what point so, did you sort of decide hey i want to i want to actually like gig and and have a band what what was that point and then what was the uh, what was the voice that you were trying to put together there that's
1: Such a great question, because I'm going to be completely honest. I had no clue what voice I wanted to put together. I was just so excited to play chamber music, now known as violin, drums, keys, and bass. I was like, this is the new quartet, (laughs) you know? And I, like I said, I was sitting in with open mics, funny story. I was coming back from the Kennedy Center, subbing for a symphony gig. I was like just in the viola section as a sub. Had gotten all dolled up. I was supposed to go on this date when I made it back to Baltimore. Get back to Baltimore, and I get completely stood up for this date. Okay. The date happens to be at a lounge having an open mic night. And the bartender realizes i'm having a rough night so he's been heavy on the pores, and i'm feeling i'm feeling you know happy and experimental and the dj gets on the mic and he's like all right all right i see you sitting at the bar with that saxophone we need you to come down to the mic i'm like who who playing a saxophone and everyone at the bar looks at me like that's you i'm like i So here I have my viola and I take it let me bring this
0: saxophone up here. That's
1: exactly what I said. I got to the mic and I'm like, hi, my name is Chelsea. I play the saxophone and then I show the (laughs) viola. (laughs) And he dropped an instrumental of Kanye West flashing lights. And I just went to town improvising, just going in, just went ham. And the owner came out of the kitchen and was like, who is this playing this viola with this DJ? And he invited me to play with the band that was the resident band at that lounge. He, he invited me back for their weekend performance. So that weekend performance turned into would you like your own night with your own band? And uh, and I was like, uh, yes, yes. And this woman in the audience who had been coming regularly was like, yes, she wants to come back. Yes, she has a band. She'll have it together. See you Tuesday. And I'm like, okay, hi. She's like, hi, you don't know me. I'm going to introduce you to your band. They just got off tour. You might know the artist they play for. The artist is called Drew Hill. They just got off tour. They're all a band. They've been rehearsing, and they can play with you. I know them all. Sure enough, the next day I walk into a rehearsal with their whole tour rig set up and they're ready to go.
0: Oh my goodness. You just Insane. backed into the situation that people work their whole lives to get.
1: It, listen, and that's the thing. It was like this... I always say divine alignment is unmatched. God does things that like we... He, I feel like, like God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Like no one else could have ever done that. And I'm like, this is crazy. So like literally my first show was like this, I mean, two keyboard players, you had main and auxiliary, you had percussion, you had drums, like the whole tour rig and we're playing and I'm just like a fish out of water, not knowing how to give cues, not knowing, like I'm, I'm so green. Like that's why my first album was called Still Green because I was so new to That's the awesome. whole thing. I was like, this is crazy. Um and so So that did y'all drummer, just play
0: standards or We yeah,
1: we just were playing covers. We we were playing a few jazz standards and then we played some pop and old school R&B top 40 covers and current covers. And people were like, "Oh my goodness, can you play our birthday party or can you play this or can you And so I started gigging around Baltimore just playing, you know, some smaller scale private events. And then, you know, we just we just kept recording and practicing and doing gigs and literally God took it from there. Like, it's just been
0: it's just been
1: crazy. Yeah, it's been such a blessing.
0: Speaking of her debut album, Still Green, here is Groove Ready from that release. So then you finished your master's and you were like, I'm I'm into all this punishment. I'm just going to keep going.
1: <laughs> well, I finished my master's and I was like, I really don't want to leave the band. We just got started because at that point we had just been working together for about eight months. I was like, this is okay. new and I really like this and I don't want to leave Maryland, but I need a reason to stay financially. Like I need something to do and I showed up at this contemporary classical string festival that was happening in the summers at University of Maryland in College Park, Maryland. Okay. Yep. And so the music director happened to be the music director of the, or- of the orchestra program at Maryland. And he okay. said, how would you like to do your doctorate on a full scholarship? And I was like, uh. <laughs> He's like, "We need a violist for next term. Would you like to uh audition and and come?" And I was like, "I at, like I didn't go out there thinking, "Yeah, I want to get a doctorate." Sure. Like, you know, again, I just was like going, like, "Sure, yeah, let's do it." And I did not realize <laughs> at that point what type of co- of commitment I was making, but it was so cool to live this like a, a side, B side life all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's what helped me stay in Maryland,
0: uh, was doing my doctorate. That's awesome. So you're playing yeah. the viola with this band.
1: I'm playing, I'm playing violin mainly with the band and then
0: viola okay. at school. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So like your body has to remember two different, uh, like string, like from B to C is, is this distance on a violin and this on a viola.
1: It was awful. Like, my hand would hurt all the time because I was going back and forth. And I finally just got the smallest viola I could get. I was like, no, I just want a 15. Like, I just want a baby viola because it, it was so demanding on, on my hand. Uh, so, and and like I said, I was still working with v- traditionally classical teachers who... You know, I could have I probably could have been on a five string a long time ago if that was something that would have been, you know, uh an option or presented to me as an option back then. So, it's just so cool to see what these kids are doing nowadays so young. Oh my goodness. <sighs> I'm like this is fantastic. And then social media is
0: allowing them to tie together like you know, you're you're probably younger than me, but the uh the, back in the day, back in the day, <laughs> yes you know, we we didn't know about each other. there wasn't any way for us to know that there was somebody kind of doing what we were doing two towns over.
1: Yes, yes, for sure, and it truly has revolutionized the way we connect and then the way we share ideas and how we can build as a community it it's it's fascinating to see happen and it's really great to see the youth taking charge of their presence with with social media for sure yeah.
0: so what kind of uh what kind of rig were you running or and what are you running now what's sort of been the history of your of your rig from having a deacon holding the 57 up through what you're doing yes. now
1: yes so now i have the bags pick up on my violin and love it uh it it seems to be it's always so smooth, and uh the the signal is really cool. Very excited that the pandemic gave me time to play around like I got to experiment with so much stuff, and I finally found a wireless system that I'm really excited about um taking back on the road whenever that happens. God, please let it happen soon. Oh hopefully soon, yes. Oh, but this um, this X-Vive uh, yep. thing, I love this. It's very sensitive, but I love it. And I've always, I was dating a bass player for a very, very long time who hipped me to bass pedals very young. Mm. So I never went the guitar pedal route. I always went with bass pedals, and they were so much warmer, so yep. much more responsive that that's kind of my MO now, to just go straight to bass pedals. So I was doing – I had an isolated loop and wah for a while, but then I went to a multi-effects zoom pedal. And now I have their – I have one of their newer ones, a B three multi effects um, pedal that I run through. Love that because it gives you so many options. Uh, And then I work with just a Roland. Like if I need an amp, I just do a Roland, like an AC, either the sixty or the ninety. They're so handy and easy to, you know, uh, go around with. And I'm I'm playing. I've been I've been entertaining some electric violin options that I can't like speak on yet. Hopefully. Hopefully they will be announced soon, but I'm excited, you know, about like some potential partnerships that might be developing. So, Very it's nice. exciting, yeah, to dive into some of this stuff for sure, yeah.
0: So, what kind of effects do you like using? I mean, you're you so you're you're still fully acoustic with a pickup.
1: I'm still fully acoustic with a pickup, and it has been literally so. Um, I think it's just the classical in me that loves that purity of the acoustic body. It, you know, there's just... It's just... It does something for me, <laughs> you know? And so I love the different... And it's interesting you say that too because even when I'm using a pickup for my viola, I use the Fishman because it's easier to take on and off. I don't usually right. have it on my instrument as long. So... Um, and, but it still gives this like buttery tone, and so yes, acoustic, but you know the the pedal you can manipulate whatever you want i i and i've called them different types of sounds, but like I love the i'd love I call it the Rihanna sound, this sparkle of like delay and verb, mm. and this you know it 's that like Madison Square garden violin delay. Uh, but there's this warm brightness to it that just kind of permeates where there's just this little edge on it. It's like just a little, but it's not enough to make it sound too tight or compressed. Um, and that's usually my like go-to arena kind of sound. But I also love a wah, love a wah because I do a lot of funk music um, and I I love also what I call the Jocko bass sound. This like mm, yeah. you know, this <laughs> that you can do a lot of cool, like fast playing with. Um, and it also is handy for when I'm doing like a no pointer tribute or like a throwback tribute to a tune that was released in the seventies to mimic that that tone. So um I, you know, I like to kind of dive into a whole bunch of different ones. I really have fun with it on our educational shows for the babies. Mm, Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) We're gonna take a quick break here and listen to a little bit of people make the world go round. So you released an album in 2020.
1: I did. I did. That was crazy. Um envisioned I released in 2020 an a EP, a four-song EP, that I just was at the point where I wanted it to be the full album, but the other tunes just were not ready. And I'm like, I just want these to be out and in the world. And I am so excited to be diving more into my songwriting and as a vocalist and as an arranger as well. I think they're all kind of one and the same for me. So it's nice to have those voices come together and I'm really proud of that project. Thank you for bringing it up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So this band that's on there, is this your same band from Baltimore or have you got local guys that you're working with?
1: So I have traveled with the same with with well let me not say the same but I've traveled with my band from Baltimore for almost nine years. My drummer has been has he's been a staple in the band ever since that first day. Um, he's like a big brother to me at this point. Spider Brian Sp- Spida Wheatley on drums, and the other players we toured together for like I said. More than eight years, even though we had a few personnel changes at the very beginning. By the time they joined the band, we we stayed in unit for a very long time, recording and traveling together. So it's been great.
0: And they're yeah. still, are they living in Baltimore or do they come to Boston to follow you?
1: You know what? They, I usually get, a, I usually come back to Maryland or meet them wherever we need to be. So uh, they're still based in Maryland, but again, the pandemic has kind of spread everybody out because traveling was crazy, and you know, so I haven't even been able to see them. Like, I feel so separated. I just, I want the pandemic to go away. <laughs> so
0: bad. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm doing a collaboration right now with my old bass player who lives in Louisiana. In fact, oh. as we've been talking, I've been seeing messages fly in from him, like new yeah. mixes that he sent. And so like the... The pandemic awesome. is is sort of reinforced in everybody's mind. Like, you really can collaborate over distance.
1: Yes. Yes. It, it takes more the same. effort. It, exactly.
0: Yeah. It's like we can't play off of each other as much. It's, it's much more like, I'll send him something, and then he'll react to that and send it back. So it's not reacting in real time, but it's... You know, it's it's what you can do.
1: It's what you can do for now. Absolutely, I agree one hundred percent. And it is uh, it is not ideal for sure. I feel like the the creative process is so different because it hit me this year, especially doing like virtual performances and performances on Zoom and all of these other streaming platforms I'd never heard of until this year. <laughs> um, it demands so much more energy and you're not getting the energy back from anybody. Cause you're just playing to the computer screen. And as soon as you end, like my wig is falling off and I'm like over here sweating, like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and then nothing silence, you know? So it is different for sure.
0: That's the thing that Rachel Barton Pine mentioned when I talked to her, the difference between her playing in her doom metal band and playing classical stuff is when you're playing in front of a a contemporary crowd or a rock crowd mm-hmm. you're getting instantaneous feedback yes on what you're doing and classical you're they're sitting there stone-faced and silent through your entire performance yes and at the end there's a reaction but you're like I'm not getting any feedback from you in real time so that real time feedback is sort of and, and also from the players in an in an improv setting like I'll play something and Maybe my bass player will kind of look at me and like he doesn't take that and throw it back. And I'm like, okay, well, that tells me something. And then if he does take it and throw it back, you're like, okay, now we have a conversation. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, that real-time feedback changes everything. And we we have none of that right now.
1: Zero. That is that's it. The conversation. Huge, huge part. And it's nice to see now at least there are. Performers playing together for virtual events or virtual audiences that's really cool to see and there's I've been seeing some socially distant events happening uh but again, you know it just depends on when cities and towns and counties open their phases to different types of entertainment you know so uh, boston we're we're just now coming out of the reinitiated phase one that was imposed back in december so you know i'm excited my gym is going to open on monday i'm like yes
2: oh, finally oh man
0: <laughs> so yeah, in raleigh i was we were at, the gyms were closed for 6 months and then they opened yep. up i don't know three, 3 months ago or so and i was like oh my god i didn't think i was going to miss this this much but uh it's, i've been back every day since they reopened cuz i was exactly. like exactly i'm afraid they're going to close again i got to go
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, I have to apologize to my body now because those weights are going to get everything I have next week. So, I'm I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, can you tell yeah. me some about this uh, this EP, the reenvisioned? Sure. You got four songs on there. Yes. Um, and the I was jamming out to Soundcheck when you uh, when you called me here just a minute ago. Oh, um, thanks. But uh, yeah. yeah, I I guess tell people what uh, what the songs are. You've got Fly sure. Me to the Moon on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how did you pick the songs? Did which ones did you write and what was the whole thought process behind all that?
1: I will absolutely love to dive in. Reenvisioned was named this way because when I was thinking about a the direction I wanted to go artistically, Coupled with I had a pretty major body transformation where I was really focused on improving my health and I lost a lot of weight and that really changed my my mind about how we look at life Uh, and then coupled with. All of the different musical identities that I feel I have that I make into this one person, that's what re comes from. Because I feel like a lot of people knew me from my last album as a certain style of contemporary jazz. And I wanted to reach beyond that for this project. Mm. I wanted to be... R and B. I want it to be driving. I want it to be a little soulful. I want it to be churchy a little bit. You know, that's why that "Fly Me to the Moon" vamp feels like that because it's because it's church. Um, but I also sound check. You know, oddly enough, it was literally taken. We we wrote this tune together as a band at a sound check in Ready or Not. Boise, Idaho. Yes. We were performing for an event at Boise State University. And they, when I say they hooked us up, they got my writer down to the T. Everything I wanted, every chord in place, the stage was laid perfectly according to the stage pod. So when we walked in, I was like, We are at the Mecca. Like,
0: look at this, y'all. Yeah, that that never happens. It never happens. Literally. You're you're like, why do I even send this? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
1: So when we saw that everything was like legit already set up, I knew it was going to just be a quick line check and we'd be done. We finished our line check literally because I always travel with my sound engineer now. So he literally takes care of what's, what's happening with that with that and we had two hours to just play and practice and and rehearse so I was trying to trigger my pedal and I kept doing this 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 sound and then my drummer started playing with me and then everybody the whole band started coming in uh and we started doing this vent, this loop of these chords, and then I was like, "Wait, what if we went to a B section?" And then I started playing a bridge, and they were like, "Wait, okay, and now let's go back to the top." And so there, there came sound check, and literally, we if if I play what the very original song was that we came up with in Boise, it's nearly I- identical to that on the record. So.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love that story.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Soundcheck was so fun. And it's fun to play now because that tempo and that bow stroke is nearly impossible. I was like, why did I do this to
0: myself?
2: <laughs> like,
1: I just don't get that.
0: Well, you convinced me. Let's listen to Soundcheck.
1: next tune on the on the project is it's not what it seems this started as a tune that was produced by my bass player kevin powell jr who did it completely electronic production when we bring it to the live man we usually change a few things and one of those things was the key and so it sits very differently with with this key but it i wanted there to be this like groovy kind of back-end funk like no 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 it's it, it, i say that it's it's not what it seems because i feel like you anticipate hearing something that doesn't manifest um and and i just think that was my that was my 2020 mm. that 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 type of song like everyone was saying oh we're going to have perfect vision and every this is going to be perfect and great and we sure did get clarity we got a yeah. lot of clarity <laughs> Um, And so that's what that second tune is about. And it's just this like roller skating. I was really inspired by like looking at these Chicago roller skaters that just have such finesse and swag when they're roller skating. And I mean, it is just, I'm looking at these grown men, fine men, roller skating together and like doing all these choreographed dances. I'm like, this is just beautiful. And it just has this like roll bounce kind of feel to it that I really enjoy. Um, And Fly Me to the Moon, I love taking a jazz standard and doing something completely different to it. Like, (laughs) let's just make this completely opposite of what everybody thinks is going to sound like. And a friend of mine, Sean Jones, an incredible trumpet player, jazz trumpet player, Very well known. I mean, so grateful that he lent his time and talent to this record. He sounds phenomenal on on that tune. And I was happy to collaborate with him on that song. And um, time, you know, is me being a girl and me having been broke up with in 2019, getting over emotional trauma uh, and putting that into a song, you know, just like getting it out of my body completely. (laughs) Like... Let me let it live in in the music, and it was a very cleansing moment for me. Uh, especially as as a new as a newish songwriter, it was exciting.
0: So then we fast forward to you being you get out of your doctorate program, yes, and you're like, hey, I'm gonna go to Berkeley. Or how did all that happen?
1: That's you know what this it's just honestly God. I just have to keep saying God because it's so true. I the semester I graduated. I literally was leaving on we were accepted to the American Music Abroad program and we're traveling on a tour to the Middle East. So it started in the Middle East and while we were there we started getting booked in other countries. So there was going to be a break between coming back to America from the Middle Eastern leg of the tour and then after Eastern Europe, we came back. I got a call, there's an available, there's an opening at Berkeley. You know, you should apply. And I'm like, I'll apply, you know, sure. I'll put my name in the hat. I'm sure there are incredible people applying. You know, it's just an honor to be asked to apply, great. And I applied went through round one, moved to round two of the application process, and then they were like, "When are you leaving for your next leg of your tour because we need to get you in for the final round of the process before you leave and so I was like okay i can I can make this happen when we come back from here and whatever, so I'm getting ready for the audition in person, and like I'm excited and putting together my little presentation and all this do the do the final round I visit the campus you know meet some people it was beautiful to see come back home and packing for my trip the night before we fly away I hear that I received the the job and they needed me to tell them like hey you know because I wasn't going to be back for for a while and so I accepted. I was thrilled, shocked, and just so honored and literally came back from the tour, moved to Boston in two weeks and started teaching. Wow. It was, it was just the most, looking back at it now, I was like, oh yeah, I did that. But in the moment it was, it was a lot going on.
0: <laughs> so you've lot. been at Berkeley how long now? This is my fourth year. Okay. So yes. You, you've been able to watch one group of kids pretty much make it all the way through.
1: They're graduating this spring. I can't take it. <laughs> I'm like, my babies are graduating this spring. And it's just so weird to know that like I've been there for that long already. It feels like it was just a couple years ago. So it's fantastic to see them grow and, and develop and have this opportunity. It's just such a unique institution no doubt. Yeah.
0: So as you're coming through academia in in three different universities and all that, you've you've had a chance to do some teaching. Right. But had you had you really focused on teaching much or were you mostly focused on performing?
1: I was mostly focused on performing. Not until the end of my master's program, I became involved with one of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra's outreach programs, which was a teaching program for community schools. And I taught through that program for a while, but formal pedagogical training happened in my doctorate for sure. Um, and that was a very eye-opening experience because, you know, teaching babies in middle school and elementary school is very different than teaching college students, you know? No doubt. So it, it was an eye-opener for sure. And I'm just so grateful to have had so many unique educational experiences Uh, And performance opportunities, because at a school like Berkeley, everything comes in handy, Um, you know, because it's a it's a jazz based curriculum. So you really have to be knowledgeable of, you know, changes and like how those how how that works. And it's just so cool that these students get the opportunity to incorporate that with their other studies you know, they're, they're doing stuff in their undergrad that I did, you know, as much older than that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely.
1: So I'm really proud of them. Like, it's very impressive to see them already being able to just sit down at the piano by their sophomore year playing changes, you know, just off of their, harm, their theory classes. Right. Uh, you know, so it's it's a great, great, diverse... It's just the curriculum is so diverse and genre-rich, you know. For me to be able to give someone a transcription, like, I think in one semester, I had a student playing Schumann, a Charlie Parker transcription, a block sonata, and then, like, some Bach. It, it was just, like, and then, like, they were doing some type of, like, chord pattern thing. And I was like, see... This is. I, I wish I could have had a teacher that gave me something like this.
0: Me too. Know? So
1: it's it's fun and it keeps me on my toes too, which is you know it's super helpful for me too because I have to I have to be on it too. So
0: right. Yeah, I didn't even start teaching till four or five years ago, and oh. and I never had any interest in it. My mom had been a music teacher, and and I was kind of like I had that stupid mentality like. Well, the people that are teaching are the ones that, you know, they wish they could be performing, but they're not. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was way wrong about that. And, and, and I didn't know that being a teacher was going to make me a better player. If I'd have known that, I'd have started yes. teaching when I was 10.
1: <laughs> it, it truly does. But a lot of people have that same sentiment. Like a lot of people think that's what is happening. And like you said, it's just the farthest from, from the truth because you got to be in it to be able to teach it, you know? Uh And so it is super helpful for sure. Yeah, I find
0: that it, it sort of makes me it makes me think about things more, yes. like things that I just sort of magically do. Well, yeah. w- well why do I do that? If I'm going to explain that to somebody, how do I explain to them what it is that I'm doing? But then when I have to dig into it myself, yes. it helps solidify in my own mind what I'm doing and why. And then sometimes you're like, well, dang, I shouldn't even be doing that. So, you know, you're and then yeah. you, you say something to a student, and as you're saying it, you're like, man, I should be saying that to myself. And yeah. why <laughs> didn't I say that to myself three years ago?
1: Absolutely. And and I will tell them, I say, listen, I'm saying this for you and me. So this is for both of us right
0: now. <laughs> so I feel you on that for sure. So she just talked about time from re-envisioned, so let's listen to that right here. As a person who is involved with the the next generation that's coming up, Mm -hmm. where do you see um, the future of Strings? Where do you see us being 20 years from now that we're (gasps) not today? Oh, my
1: goodness. That's such a great question, Matt. I mean, that it's going to look like so many different things, I feel like, because... There are so many new options that people are willing to take, you know, with regard to the incorporation of electronics and electric instruments. You know this. Like you know this more than I even need to explain. Like it's it's something that is going to permeate every genre, classical included. I, I see it. Like it's I can see. Orchestras, completely electronic orchestras coming to emerging at the fore, playing classical literature, not only because it looks cool or it sells tickets, but because they need it for like a virtual engagement or they need mm-hmm. it for, you know, some sort of presentation that needs this level of, of logistics considered with regard to electronic production. And with that said, like production itself, I can see the MPC pad becoming part of a percussion section. Okay. You know, or a DJ becoming part of the orchestra, you know, and with with regard to different genres too. Like it, it's just the options are, are limitless. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate, I'm, I'm also really... Uh, connected and working with the recording academy and that is part of our charge right now to really be inclusive of what's happening with regard to how music is changing like music is changing it's becoming so much more accessible people are creating from their phone people who aren't even you know studying music per se in a in a formal program they're producing You know they're downloading equipment. They're they're you know and they're using DAWs to create music and they're collaborating. So I feel like all of that is going to start to to come together in a way where we're really going to have to recognize music just for the sake of music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just somebody performing as an artist and whatever genre they present in that moment is what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I think the accessibility is sort of a double-edged sword, right? I mean, there's a lot of chaff out there, and we got to sort yes. through to find the wheat. But um, the, more, the more chaff there is, statistically, the more wheat there's going to be, too, right? If you've got a million kids True. trying something instead of a thousand, there's going to be a lot of hot garbage out there. But you're going to yep. have kids that wouldn't have tried it, who happen to have an aptitude for it, that oh, wait, we discovered this kid who wouldn't have ever probably gone after it before.
1: That's so true. That, that is absolutely true. And, you know, while knowing that there will be people of a certain level that still really take off, <laughs> just, just because by virtue of how you can put yourself out there now, you know you don't need an entity to do that for you. So that, that middleman being gone has really opened the floodgate in a way that everything is accessible, you know, to, to right. youth in so many ways. So:
0: yeah for, all the, yeah, for all the bad things about Spotify or iTunes or whatever, it is definitely democratized music. Yes, to the extent where you have the same access to an audience that Bon Jovi has.
1: There it is. It's so true. That is so true. Democratize. I love that. That I mean, not that, just
0: to get them people listening to you instead of you know <laughs> Taylor Swift or whatever.
1: <laughs> listen, I will gladly uh, love to lend y'all's ears. All the Taylor Swift fans, please listen just to my EP just a few times. I would be more than grateful. Uh, just and I, it was it's interesting you say that too because I did a talk for this course at a college for their winter term. And I encourage the students to listen beyond their listening list. Like if your instructor is is saying these are the recommended listening uh, for the semester, keep the playlist going. You don't know who who you're going to run into, you know, and how that's going to change your mind on this genre of music.
0: For sure. I do want to hit one more topic if you've got time before we get out of here. Sure. Your, Your social media... (laughs) has been like a breath of fresh air. Thank you. Thank you so much. Talk about like what, like you started doing like this thing on, on Instagram, (laughs) like not that long ago, I think it just, true. I, 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 it, it, it occurs to me that it's not, it wasn't an accident. I feel like you sort of like intentionally said, I'm going to do this thing. So talk about why you decided to do that. Tell people what it is and, and yeah,
1: so I think, you know, I always say I'm not a comedian, but life is funny. Life is just really funny. And I like to talk about it because it's just hilarious to me what what types of things happen to people sometimes. So I intentionally said that I was going to start posting away from my instrument um, just because the pandemic really made me value human connection in a completely different way. To have been... You know, I played with my band in February of 2020. We were playing a jazz festival. My family came to that festival. That weekend was the last time for the rest of the entire year I saw my family in person. I had... You know, that was the last time I saw my band in person. And to have been... Alone for the rest of the whole year. I'm like, it really does make me think about human relationships completely different. And I missed it. And I was like, you know, let's just recount some of the funnier moments. And I just started capturing those moments. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun because I think it resonates with people (laughs) because they've had similar experiences. So, uh, you know, I do a little comedy on my, on my Instagram now I do. And the, the interesting part about it to me is that I still put my music in the video. Um, so it's like kind of my own placement, if, if you will, And it's been fun to see it kind of play out like as if it were a sitcom. So I intend to continue it. Look, as soon as I have a little time, now that we've gotten through the first week of the semester, and I can dive back in. But yeah, I like to diversify the the presentation on social media. That's awesome. Well, tell people where they can
0: find you. Your social media so they can laugh along, right? Sure. Where's your social media, your website? Where can they find your music? Thank
1: you for that. I am on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at Green Violinist, G-R-E-E-N, Violinist, at Green Violinist. And I'm on Facebook, Chelsea Green and The Green Project. And my website that has our YouTube and everything else is chelseagreen.com, C-H-E-L-S-E-Y, g-r-e-e-n dot com and that's where you'll find everything and hopefully upcoming shows when we're able to Mm. book them (laughs) how about that soon soon everybody go get your shots
0: so we can do this
1: right be safe please stay safe wear your mask you know and stay home when you can and let's really take care of each other and ourselves so we can be out here living life
0: Man, how many things did we just say that we did not know a year ago we would be saying?
1: You know what? Talk about it. I was laughed at, talked about everything, because back in 2017, I was wearing masks on planes already. And Oh, you're a
0: trendsetter.
1: Look, people were like, why are you wearing this mask? And everyone would think I was sick. Right. And so no one would want to sit next to me and stuff, and I'm like, okay, cool. That's genius. Thanks yeah. <laughs> so much. And now everyone has to wear a mask or should. So <laughs> it's been it's been easy for me, except for my masks started getting really expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Supply and demand. All of a sudden, people are getting rich off of me now.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But thank you so much for this interview, Matt. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. This has been fantastic. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rockstar Violinist. Please go visit chelseagreen.com, visit electricviolinshop.com, and tell all your friends and even some of your enemies, like the ones that aren't too bad, tell them about this podcast. We will be back next month with another Rockstar Violinist.